This summer, we have been focusing our attention in the book of Proverbs and in the book of Psalm. And, and I want to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles. If, for those of you that have electronic ones, you can turn them on. For those of you that have the real book, you can join me. In fact, I'm going to be reading this morning out of Psalm 139, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'm only going to be focusing this morning on about the first six verses, but I want to read the whole chapter to you so that you can get the context of of the greatness of God and all of these things as it relates to us. And I'm going to ask, would you stand with me? They're going to be putting the words up on the screen, and, and the version that they're on the screen might not be exactly with mine that I'm reading from, but... Uh, I'm certain that the thoughts will be similar. Psalm 139, O Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, You know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in. Behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you, even when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand." When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, your word is a powerful tool within our life. Many of us have learned that we cannot make it through one day without feasting on the riches of your word. And I pray today, O oh God, that in these few moments that we have together, that you would take your word and that you would add your anointing to it in such a way that it would be intensely personal to each individual here. There will be some point, some thing that is said that every one of us that are here today can say, I have heard from the Lord as it relates to my life. And we're grateful for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a man by the name of Chris Morfu who is an Australian man. In fact, he lives in Sydney. 
He's a school teacher and he's the chaplain of the school. He is particularly gifted working with teenagers and young adults and he wrote a book and it's called, Who Am I and Why Do I Matter? Who am I and why do I matter? And the emphasis of this book is on identifying the many, many challenges that face young people as they try to make sense of their lives, as they move from adolescence into the early stages of adulthood, and they begin to wonder, who am I? Am I my status? Am I my possessions? Am I defined by my looks? Whatever that may be, who, who am I really? A couple of years ago, I had the chance to speak at something called The Huddle, which is the fellowship of Christian athletes once a week gather together in Syracuse University, and I was asked to come in and speak to the the athletes, And, and at the end of the evening, I was having a conversation with an exceptionally tall girl who I found out was on the basketball team. And as I was having this conversation with her, she began to to well up with tears in her eyes as, as we were speaking, and she said, I have come to the realization, being a scholarship athlete, that my whole identity is based on what I do, not on who I am. She said, my social media explodes with either people that are affirming me because I had a great game or cursing me because I was a cause for one of the things that we lost. She said, in this day and age where there's something called the NIL, name, image, and likeness, and, and our athletes can be paid to do commercials for things of that nature, she says, my entire system of support is based on my abilities. And she says, I never in my life have I felt more like a commodity than I do today. And she says, living in this particular system, and I hear the words of the Lord who says that I am more than just what I do, that that my identity is not based just on my performance or just on my athletic abilities, but just because he made me is difficult for me to understand, particularly in this time of my life. The questions that are asked not only of our students but certainly of all of us as it relates to us are the same questions that we address about ourselves every day. We've been looking at Psalms and Proverbs recognizing that the depth and the breadth of the emotions and the questions that are raised within Scripture here probably touches every area of life that any one of us today are going through. That it speaks to us about who we are and our personal identity. How many of you are lovers of really good art? How many of you have ever studied some of the great artists and the paintings? I shouldn't raise my hand because I am not one of you. However, as I was doing a little research, I came across an, an artist by the name of Gugan. And this is the way it was described. He is a French post-impressionist painter. If you don't paint rooms, I probably haven't seen much of what you have done. But this is what he did. And it says that one of the largest paintings that he ever did is shown in Boston. uh, It's on a canvas, and it's huge. But Guggen, in this particular painting, it's the only one that he ever wrote on after he painted it. And it is a huge painting that has three questions on it. It shows life from a child all the way to aged, and the questions are, where do we come from, where are we, and where, do we, where are we going? Where do we come from, what are we, and where are we going? And then others have said, and why does it matter? 
Why does it matter? If Gogan, as an artist, had turned to the Psalms, he would have found the questions that he was seeking there. In the Psalms, we find everything that directs us in life. And in the 139th Psalm, which I read in its entirety, it unquestionably is one of the high peaks of Scripture as it relates to our life. All you have to do is look at the poetic theology that is written in such a way that we can all understand that every thought that I have of God makes Him tiny. The moment that I begin to think about God and how He relates to me, I have limited Him from what He really is and all of the grandeur of His life. In fact, the reality of God that is expressed to us within this chapter are the really big things, the big theological words like omniscience, um, omnipresence, omnipotence. They are all there as it talks about a God who knows everything who is always there and has all power. And these truths are conveyed to us in such a way that each of us, as we read this, like David can say and use the terms I, me, and mine as it comes across. I've read the whole chapter because I wanted you to get the breadth of it, but I want to focus this morning on the first six verses just briefly. Scripture says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me. I want you to know something. You have no secrets that you can hold from God. You have no secrets that you can hold from God. In other words, He has the full encyclopedia of everything about you. Now, I understand that for those of you that have your phone in your hands, and I recognize some of you are taking notes, some of you are playing games, some of you are writing out your grocery list. I see it all, by the way, from my vantage point right here. It is amazing. To, I, wish, I wish I could video some of you when you disengage and start, you know. You, you think I think you're taking notes. I know. Because when you win the game, you go, mm. So... We probably are all familiar with Google. Google has a hugely ambitious plan for collecting data. And they are collecting data. They're collecting a lot of it. But Google can't hold a candle to the data that God has on you. I mean, when we begin to look at the way they do things and what they have compared to the one who has made you and knit you together, what fascinates me is we have about... 8 billion people on the planet, and as a result of that, we sometimes think that God is having a problem trying to keep up with everybody. I want you to know He has no problems trying to keep up with everybody. Every single one of the 8 billion people on this earth is completely known and have been searched by the God who made them and knows everything. And in this statement... What a staggering statement that God knows everything, and it must have been for David as he was singing this song and others were joining him, affirming to him the true almighty God was distinct in everything that he knew about him. And yet, in the middle of all that, he said, we can trust God completely. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. I don't know how many times you have experienced this, but I... Once a year, I try to read all the Psalms. It's part of my devotional things. I, I read a passage of Scripture, then I'll, I'll read a Psalm. 
And I know that there are many of you that have done that. But what fascinates me the most is for those of you that have read the Bible through many times, isn't it amazing how you can read something a hundred times, but depending on what you're going through that particular day, the lens of your experience, that you will read a verse that you know by heart and suddenly something jumps off that page that is brand new to you because of what you're going through and you just sit there astounded at the knowledge of what God has of your life and how he wants to directly address something even though you've read it a hundred times. As I was looking at this, I discovered something new and, and, and related to the fact of the knowledge of God is so comprehensive, it spans the globe, but the point he's making here is not the comprehensiveness of the knowledge of God, but the fact that David says this, and, and maybe you need to be reminded of that thought, you know me, God. Maybe somebody is here today and you're, you're coming in and you're thinking, I am just one of eight billion and, and God does not know me. I want to remind you that David discovered what we discovered. You know me personally, God. And knowing everything about me, you choose to love me anyway. Warren Wearsby He's one of the great outliners of Scripture, and he had a masterful outline for these verses, and rather than trying to create something new, I'm just going to use what he used. And here are the questions he asks, the points that he comes up with. You know what I do. You know what I think. You know where I go. You know what I say. You know what I need. Some of you are looking at your watches and go, if he preaches five or ten minutes on each of those points, I'm missing the fair this afternoon. I, I, I promise you. I promise you we'll, we'll be brief with this. You know what I do. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. How intimate is the knowledge of God that he even knows when we've run out of energy and we finally sit down at the end of a long day and we think nobody knows what's going on in my life and instantly we are reminded in Scripture that God says, I know you, I know what you do, I know how your day has been, I know what's happening with you and I know that when you sit down, I know you're not getting back up. I know when you lay down when you're tired. I know when you can't sleep at night. I know what's running through your mind that keeps you awake. I know all of the issues that keep you from doing everything you want to do and I know the doors I'm about to open. I know know you and I know what you do and then he moves from there into the end of the verse the second verse when he says you perceive my thoughts from afar I know what you think now this one freaks me out a little bit I'm just gonna be honest with you because how many times have we said and, and I've stated this before you can think anything you want to think just don't say everything you think because we, we know that everything that we say is being recorded and we will give an account for every word. And then, then we get to the knowledge of God who says to us, I, I know what you think. Oh, great. That's just what I need is a God who knows what I'm thinking. 
Because in the middle of that comes this intimate knowledge that since he's created us and since he has wired our brains and since he has put together all of us in in a way that our personalities come through, he knows every thought that goes through our minds. Not only do we see this and recognize the depth of his knowledge, but it reinforces the fact that you cannot deceive God because he knows your thoughts. He knows what we do, and he knows why we do it. It's that motive part that gets a little freaky from time to time because sometimes we come across to other people with really pure motives when on the inside we know what we were thinking. And he says, in the middle of all this, I want you to know how deeply and how well I know you. I know your thoughts. Sometimes we struggle with a God of the universe that that with so many people out there and so many things going on that he can't possibly be worried about us individually, and yet in this moment we are reminded in Scripture of the vast individual knowledge that he has of us and how deeply he wants to know us and wants us to know him. And we move from the part there into the third one, you know where I go. It said, you discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all of my ways. As I look around this room, I know that there are a number of you that are married people, and you discover after you get married that you have to learn a new language. It's nuanced. Men in particular, you thought English or whatever your home language was going to be good in your marriage, and then you learned that there's this whole new language of nonverbal communication, (laughs) that there are things that take place and you learn the look. Now, sometimes those looks are, you're looking good today. Sometimes those looks are, I can't believe you did that. But there's this language that takes place of where we go. And we become familiar with one another as you grow in life together. And you, you begin to recognize. And I, I, I talked to those that are getting married. I said, your first two years of marriage, you're going to begin to recognize that each of you have a set of buttons. And you're going to learn that if you push this button, you're going to get a certain reaction. And then you spend the rest of your life wondering, is it worth pushing that button for what's going to happen next? And you begin to settle into just being familiar with each other. How many of you know God knows all your buttons? He knows them all. He knows everything about you. He knows where you go. He knows your resting spots. He knows when you watch TV. He knows all the time that you spend studying or praying or working or talking on the phone or searching things up on the internet, the time that you spend traveling, the time you spend chasing your children or preparing meals or eating meals or working to make a living. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every year, your entire life is completely known to the one who has made you. So when David says, you are familiar with all my ways, he begins to paint a picture to each of us. He knows what I do. He knows what I think. He knows where I go. Then he says, and I know what you say. Verse 4, you know what I say even before a word is on my tongue. I think David at this moment is probably overwhelmed with the completeness of the knowledge of God, of him in particular. He says, think about this. You know me so well and you know me all together and so completely 
that before I even formulate a thought in my mind that ultimately become a word on my lips, you already know what I'm going to say because you've known my thoughts and you know where it's coming from. You know the well of my heart that this is coming. You know the attitude. You know the sarcasm. You know all of these things about me. Before they ever come out of my mouth, you're going, yep, I know. You know me so completely in all of this. It's staggering. It also, for those of you that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, can be overwhelming at the thought that not only does he know your thoughts, which are going to condemn you until you're in relationship with him, and you intersect his grace, and then all of that gets wiped away, and you become under the management of a new director, everything that would cause us to fear a God that has this massive knowledge of us is wiped away under the grace of relationship with Jesus Christ. But before that, it can be fearful. It's a threat to the unbeliever. God knows everything. So you can't disguise yourself from him. You can't conceal yourself during the week. Again, as I talk about the phones, we have this app on here, and it's asking you all the time, can I reveal your location? You know, and we look at that, and when we don't want people to know where we are, we shut that part off. There is never a time in your life when you can shut off God's app of knowing where you are or knowing what you're doing. You can't turn that off because he's created you and has all knowledge. We cannot escape the searching gaze of Almighty God. And that's the point. You know what I do. You know what I think. You know what I say. You know me better than I know myself. You know where I go. You have searched me. And you know me, and it is wonderful. You compare the description of God in this 139th chapter to what we see all around us in man-made gods. It's described for us in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18, when it says this, The idols of the nation are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, so will all who trust in them. In other words, when we drive through our neighborhoods and we see all of these statues and we see the relics and and we see the icons and the idols and the lucky charms and everything that's been made by man that somehow man has put their hope into and, and pray in those things, God says, there's no life to them. There's no breath in them. They've been created by human hands. I, on the other hand, have created you with my hands, and I know you. Deuteronomy 4.27 says, man, or man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. If you are serving a man-made God, then don't expect much. The gods of this world, you can conceal the secrets of your heart from them because it's a made-up God. It was Augustine that says this, a God who does not know the future is not a God at all. So that's why, you see, if you serve gods made in your own image, it means that you want a manageable God. You want a God that you can fool. You want a God that will bless you only but never convict you. You want a God that will give you all the good things but not a God that wants to reform you and remake you. 
And David says, the Almighty God is an all-knowing God. Then fifthly, the Scripture says, you know what I need. You know what I need. There's a song that many of you that grew up in the church know, that I need you every hour. I think we should reword that to, I need you every second. Last week, we stood right here, and I used an illustration where we were talking about pouring out our soul before God, where we just empty ourselves of everything that we've got before the Lord. Last week at that time, there were three families here that did not know that there was going to be a death in their family. Two of them lost daughters. One of them lost a mother that had no idea. But our God, who knows the future, knew before time exactly the strength that they were going to need to get through this week. Because he's a God that knows everything. I am so glad today that when I talk about my God, he's a God that knows what we need before we know that we need it. He's a God that sees the future. He sees the past. He knows everything about you. And if you're here today and you're wondering, does God even know me? Does God know what I need? I need to tell you today the word declares it. He knows what you need. And he's available. Scripture says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, it's interesting because we really don't know the context of which David was in when he wrote this, but I find it fascinating that you go through this entire thing where he's talking about the greatness of God, and then you get to to verse 19, and there's this little humanity part that just jumps in there. And it may give us a sense of what David was going through, that that maybe there was a time that he's hiding out for fear of his life as he writes this, because in verse 19 of 139, it says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Now, one of the reasons I like David is because he's just a plain speaker. I don't know about you, but I have had times of prayer when it starts at, oh, God, you're so great, you're so awesome, you know everything, I'm so proud of you, God. I'm glad to be called yours. By the way, do you know that we have enemies, and if you could just make their car not work? Lord, if you could just destroy their businesses. If you, you know, Lord, you do that, it's, it's your will. You know, you know. And we pray all these things about those that are the enemies of God in our own life. Don't tell me you don't do that. If you don't pray it out loud, you think it, and he knows your thoughts. Remember that. And David does this in the middle of all of this, talking about the greatness of God. Then he gets to this part where he says, just destroy the enemies. They're your enemies, God. They, they misuse your name and all of these things. And then at the end of that, as, as if it just makes it right, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> Search my heart, Lord. Make sure that I'm, I'm pure in all this, but I'm pretty sure I'm pure in that prayer for them, God. But you, you do what you need to do. But he says, hymn me in. Now, what's fascinating about this is that some of the commentators that I was studying, some of them said this is the restricting nature of God. It's like he builds a fence around you and says you can't go play anywhere but in here. There are other commentators that looked at this and said this isn't the restriction of God, this is the protection of God, who says I want to I place you in a place where you have great freedom and great joy, but it's within my protection. I know what is ahead of you. I'm hemming you in. I'm putting my arms around you. I'm, I'm holding you close. This is a loving nature of God at work because he knows where the enemies are that you don't know. And so rather than providing you with a freedom that will ultimately destroy you, he comes along lovingly like a parent and says, this is a safe place for you here. I know what's outside. I know what's behind you. I know what's on either side. And here you will rejoice and be glad. I'm not restricting you. I'm protecting you. 
And the way that we know this happens is this. How many of you have barely missed accidents that normally if you had been paying attention the way you normally would, you would have been involved and you sit back and you're going, that was the protection of God. I mean, we can all think of moments like that where we're just going, that was God not restricting you. That was God protecting you in this wonderful nature of God. And we see later on in the psalm that all of our days ordained for us are written in the lamb's book, are written in a book in the handwriting of God himself. Now one of the things that I've always wondered about is when we get to heaven what it will be like for us to see that book written in his hand and how close our life really did come to what he wrote. How willing were we to allow God to move in our lives? The psalmist mentions frequently, and even the prophet mentions it, that he is the Lord and that he will take you by the hand and he will keep you. In fact, one of my favorite chapters is is Isaiah chapter 14, and I want to read from verses 18 through 31 as it talks about being in the hands of God. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashioned silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that it will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases power to the weak. Even the youth shall grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Oh, hallelujah, we have a God that knows us and knows what we need and will provide it. Yesterday I was walking outside the church and I I, I watched a a man that I assume was a grandfather holding the hand of a little boy that I assume was his grandson and and you could clearly see the difference in that tiny little hand that was reaching up to hold grandpa's hand and they're just walking along there together and it began to dawn on me. It doesn't matter how big your problems is, what's going on in your life. When you take your hand and you put it into the hands of God, your issues are tiny in the hands of an almighty God who will take a hold of your hand and he will walk with you and lead you because he knows you completely. Worship team, if you'd please come. I want to just read these six verses to you in a new, brand, brand new way and, and, and put it in some language that might be helpful to you because this is a new version of what David might say. I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. 
You know when I leave, you know when I get back. I am never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I looked behind me, and you were there. Then up ahead, and you were there too. Your reassurance, your reassuring presence goes with me everywhere I go as I come and as I go. And then you look at this and say, what's his response to all of this? It's found in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I have a God that is so big I can't begin to fathom him. Can't begin to understand his knowledge. David says, I can't complete my course without you. It's beyond my limited ability to understand. And for those of you, wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing in life, when you hear this and you're going, man, I don't know that I am comfortable with a God that knows all of that about me, then I need to introduce you to him. Because when you're in a relationship with him, that fear disappears and the joy begins to rise. If you're here today and you're feeling your heart pounding inside of you, that's called the convincing power of the Holy Spirit who is saying to you, I want to give you an invitation, not into a God that's scary with his knowledge, but into a God that knows you so well that you'll never have a moment without his peace. And if you're living in anxiety and you're living in fear and you're living in all of the what-ifs of life, then may I introduce to you a God that David describes as one who is absolutely perfect in every piece of knowledge he has about you. And he gives you the grace to wipe away your past and start brand new in a relationship with Almighty God. If you're here and you're wondering how we can sing and how we can express such joy in the, the culture in which we live, it's because of Jesus.